as we are here to worship the holy name of Jesus together in communion. We sing of our faithfulness to God this day. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
said amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. If you've just gotten here, you can actually take a seat. I'm going to invite up two good friends of ours, Tyler and our youth pastor, Lexi Mercado. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Okay, I was just at summer camp, and that was pretty tame compared to the good mornings that they got. So can we try it again, maybe? Good morning. Much better. Thank you. Um, if you take a look at your bulletin this morning, there's going to be a QR code that you can scan at the bottom. Uh, we'd love to know that you're here to know more about how we can pray for you throughout the week and in the days to come. Um, we're so happy that you're here and love seeing your faces, and we would also love to see it in writing so we can keep track of you. Um, like I mentioned before, we just got back from summer camp on Friday. It was a full week in Idlewild Pines. There should be some photos. There's not a ton that we were able to take, but we tried to sneak some in for you so we could get a good glimpse. We were very tired by the time we got back. And then we got to do a fun theme night of Dalmatians. And so this was the whole crew of kids that we got to take with us this week. Um, it was a blast. And a lot of us are probably still tired from our experience. But we are ready for VBS next week. We had a great time up at summer camp. Often felt more like herding cats than it was dogs, but it was still a good time. OK, I had to drop the pun in. Sorry, uh, couldn't resist. OK, a couple other things uh, happening soon in life of our church want to make sure you all know about. Uh, first is our summer celebration coming up on August 20th. Uh, we're going to gather rather than here at church that Sunday morning down at Crown Point Park in the Mission Bay area. We have an outdoor worship service that Sunday morning uh, full of some reflections about summer ministries. Get to hear from some of the kids that were involved at summer camp, mid-high camp camp, uh, VBS coming this week, so some reflections on those ministries and events, and then just stick around for a free taco lunch, some lawn games, and get to hang out, fellowship, socialize together uh, as a way to celebrate the end of the summer. So mark your calendars for that Sunday, and don't come here to church, and be sure to meet us at Crown Point. And there's some additional details about that event in your bulletins today, as well as in our regular weekly email uh, that goes out Friday afternoon, so be sure to be checking all that for the details about that. And then, like I just mentioned, VBS, our VBS sports camp is starting this Monday. It's finally time. It's finally here. Uh, even though we've been away at summer camp, I know that Jordan and Rihanna have been uh, working so hard this week to prep. Uh, the church office looks a little bit like it exploded with t-shirts and water bottles and sports equipment and all the things that it takes to make VBS happen. And so we're so excited uh, for this event to take off. It's going to be a great one. Thanks to all of y'all who have supported uh, us getting ready and are volunteering for this week. And whether you are helping this week or not, we could still use your help. Just the last little few things that need to be taken care of today, right after church, uh, whether you're staying to help flip this space, Rihanna and Jordan could also use your help over in the children's building. So once service wraps up today, if you have a few minutes to spare, head on over to the children's building right across the Friendship Plaza, find Rihanna and say, reporting for duty, please help me find something to do. Rihanna would love your help getting those spaces set up for VBS so it's all ready and beautiful and fun for our kids to walk into on Monday morning, on Monday afternoon as a VBS kicks off. So we'd love your help if you would stick around today a little bit to help make that happen. All right, this is the point in our service where we get to stand and greet one another and pass the peace of Christ. So please go and do so.
wrap up those conversations and find your way back to your seats as we continue in our worship together. You may remain standing where you are seated. Let us join with all creation in singing of the praises of the one who created and sustained us since today. All praises to the one who made it all, who made it all. All praises to the one who made it all and finds it beautiful.
Come and read from Psalm 139 for us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Psalm 139, uh, 1 through 12, and 23 and 24. Guys, this will be our memory verse for today. We're going to do all of these today. <laughs> all right. Uh, you have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. And praise to the Lord who does prosper Yeah. 
with us and that you know the depths of our hearts, the joys and the pains. And that, Lord, even if our pain can't have words to describe it, you still know what we are experiencing and who we are. And so, God, we come before you and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. That together as a body of Christ, we can be able to celebrate, that we can be able to joyfully proclaim our life that is lived within your hands. God, we are grateful and we sing of your goodness this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I call on your name, you answer. When I fall, you are there by my side. You deliver me out of darkness. Now I stand in the hope of love by grace, by grace. Treat for you today. 
a good old treat for you, just to get you ready for VBS, such an awesome week. Our own Pastor D has a story that he wants to tell you this morning. So I'm going to invite a Pastor D Kelly here, and he's going to take you along the journey of, should I say the title, or do you want to do the build-up and say the title? Sparrow's Prayer. Sparrow's Prayer. Yeah. I thought it was song for a second, because, you know, the whistling. Like, you maybe should I should take it. should have done Yeah, it. maybe I should take it. Yeah. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, Praise Band. Um, I just want to say that um, I'm using this crowd right here as an excuse, afraid that nobody else will listen unless I've got you nearby here. So you are strategic for me, and you put me at ease, which is wonderful, and I'm grateful for that. We listened to Jeremiah do Psalm 139, and uh, so this morning you're just going to memorize the whole thing. That's really impressive. That's great. We'll try and give you a few extra minutes to do that. One of the reasons that I'm reading Sparrow's Prayer is that it's built on Psalm 139. So, I'm glad you're still here, but I have to confess, this is for everyone. Sparrow's Prayer. Sparrow begins each morning by stretching his wings, whistling a morning tune, thanking God for the new day. But not today. Today, Sparrow feels different, feels restless a little anxious. Maybe it's the gray skies, maybe he's hungry, or maybe, maybe he just didn't get enough sleep. So Sparrow tries to pray, but his words get tangled and knotted in his beak like old yarn and straw. Blah, 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 blah. Thank you. Good morning, Sparrow, says Turtle, his mouth full of plump blackberries. How are you this fine day? Uh, not great, says Sparrow. I always begin my day with prayer, but today I can't find my words. Can you help? Hmm. I, I don't always pray with words. I, I pray by sharing. Have you ever seen so many blackberries, Turtle says, turning toward the berry bush? I, I want to bake a pie for Fox, but I can't reach the rest of the berries. Well, I can reach the high ones, Sparrow says brightly. Wonderful, says Turtle. Together, Turtle and Sparrow make the most fantastic blackberry pie and deliver it to Fox. I know you're wondering where the words to that. How come I can't see them on the screen? I only did half of the pages so that you would have to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, teaching technique thrown at you right there. I can reach the high one, Sparrow says brightly. Wonderful, says Turtle. Together, Turtle and Sparrow make the most fantastic blackberry pie, and they deliver it right to Fox. Well, thank you for inviting me to help you, Turtle, says Sparrow. Fox's smile said it all. Amen, says Turtle. Strange word for a turtle, but I love it. Amen. Sparrow notices his friend Mousy painting at the edge of the forest. Good morning, Mousy, says Sparrow. Every morning I thank God for the new day, but today I just can't find the words. Can you help me to pray? Well, I don't really pray with words, Mousy says. My art is my prayer. But actually today I can't find the right color for the sky. Well, 
Maybe I can help, says Sparrow. I know the sky very well. Mousy mixes the paint. Sparrow flies the paintbrush into the sky until they find the perfect match. Thank you for your help, Sparrow, Mousy says. This is the perfect color. There are so many beautiful colors in the world, says Sparrow. Amen, says Mousy. Sparrow sees his friend Buck spinning and hopping, twirling, stomping. Hello, Buck, says Sparrow. Is everything okay? Is everything okay? Is everything okay? Buck shouts. Well, everything is magnificent. I'm, I'm dancing. It's so mag magnificent. Just come and join me. Come on, Buck. Birds can't dance, said Sparrow. And anyway, I don't feel like dancing today. I'm trying to figure out how to pray. Well, dancing's my way of praying, says Buck. Buck can dance. Come here and I'll show you that birds can dance too. Sparrow perches on one of Buck's antlers. Hold on, Buck shouts as he kicks up his hooves and spins around. Sparrow tries to hold on, but he is laughing so hard he lets go and starts swooping and gliding around Buck's head. Whew, that was fun, Sparrow laughs. Dancing with you brightens my day. Amen, Buck says. As the sun goes down, Sparrow thinks about his day. He smiles, remembering baking a pie with turtle, giving it to Fox. Helping Mousy find the perfect color for her sky made Sparrow feel closer to God. And he will never forget dancing for joy with Buck. A beautiful rose glows in the light of the setting sun. Her peach-colored petals are wide open. Reaching for the light with the last bit of summer energy stored in her dark green leaves, Sparrow flaps his wings with excitement. That's it, Sparrow says. Turtle invited me to help make a special gift for Fox. Mousie invited me to help her with her painting. Buck taught me that anyone can dance, even a sparrow like me. And this beautiful rose, she too is praying. Fireflies sparkle and dance against the inky blue of the night sky. Each creature does what God created them to do. Each life is a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. With or without words, Sparrow's heart is full, spreads his wings and whispers, Amen. Sparrow drifts off to sleep with a happy, thankful heart. Sparrow's prayer, our prayers, they come in words, they come in actions. They come with a posture of the heart. And at the end of just doing something that felt like we touched God's presence, maybe that's when we just ought to say, amen. Let's together offer the prayer over our children as we let them run off and memorize whatever it is that Jeremiah convinces them to memorize. This is our prayer. Let's join together. This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best 
May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Love you, kids. Have a great morning. Well, many of you know that uh, I wrote an essay back in February that um, has caused a little bit of uh, unrest. And um, for those of you who don't know, the personalized summary of it was that I wish more churches were like our church. Um, But there were some components of it that uh, raised some flags for some. And I just want to say thank you to this incredibly encouraging church that has held me well. And there have been many who have asked the question about the next step. And the next step is part of accountability. And I just want to say that I am in favor of a church that has an accountability process. I think that those things are good in many, many ways. And uh, August 11th and 12th is the opportunity I have to hear concerns and to respond, and so I certainly covet your prayers uh, through this season. So just wanted to keep you posted. Um, I would like to, um, if I could, read for you the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. It's uh, Matthew 13. We were here last week, still in the same chapter. It's a chapter filled with parables, and this is the second in the series of parables. What's interesting is that there are two parables that interrupt the telling of the parable and an explanation of the parable. We're going to skip over those two middle ones, not because they're unimportant, but because, well, there's just so much to say about each parable. So, Matthew 13. This one is the parable of the weeds, beginning in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Well, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Then there are a couple of parables, parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, We pick up the story again in verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom, or the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. 
as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I know that there are a number of you, by the way, just a pause, just a number of guests here. It's so nice that you are making us part of your morning. I don't know what all went into that decision, but I am so grateful for that. It is wonderful to have you here, and I hope you feel welcome this morning. I hope there is something here that touches with your spirit, energizes your journey, and that you leave this place saying, well, whatever did lead into that decision, it was a good decision. So I'm glad you're here. Um, some of you know that I enjoy sailing. I'm not great with huge boats. I just like boats that if I needed to in a pinch, I could do everything if I needed to. I feel a little uncomfortable in boats that, like if the skipper faints, like I wouldn't know what to do. That doesn't feel very comfortable to me, and I try and avoid those thoughts when I'm in an airplane, because that's constantly true. But sailboats um, can have any number of sails. Um, often there is a single-sail sailboat that you might go out on. Some have two sails, a mainsail and a jib out front, kind of just looks like a little triangle piece that finishes the front end of the boat. And then some have that huge balloon-like parachute spinnaker that's out in the front. They all have reasons why they exist and ways in which they need to be used. It's fun for me to take out others who are not very familiar with sailing and maybe show them some things that they have never had a chance to do or participate in. And so sometimes when I'm in a boat that uh, has a couple guests in it and I'm showing them various things, I will first try and show them how the rudder works and then I'll surrender the rudder to one of them and then go up front and start showing how the sails work and then surrender the sails to them and then just sit back and enjoy until they look really, really nervous and then I'll step in and help. The jib is an interesting sail. It sits in front of the mainsail has ropes that go to either side, and you want to set it in a particular way so that it doesn't interrupt the wind to the mainsail, but also in such a way that it captures enough wind that it can do its job well. One of the things that a jib sail is very good for is when you're turning. Because when you turn, particularly into the wind, you lose momentum. The boat slows down, and you need to get that momentum back up, otherwise you lose a whole lot of ground if you're competing. And if there are two boats in the water, you're competing. <laughs> or if you're the only boat, you don't want to get caught in what's sometimes called caught in irons, where it just gets stuck in this space where there's no wind and you're going nowhere and the wind starts pushing you backwards. And if you waited far too long to turn and you're close to the shore and the shore is full of rocks and you might run aground, that feels very uncomfortable and you don't want that to happen. So, 
when you are turning, you don't change the setting of the jib until the very end of the turn. A lot of things happen. You announce that you're turning to all those who are on the boat. You push the rudder. The boat begins to shift. The wind and the sails begin to change. All of a sudden, the mainsail starts to flutter. You're instructing people to go to the other side because the wind's going to come from the other side. And all during this, if I have a new person that I've put on the jib, and they know that they have to loosen the cleat on one side and jump to the other side and pull in the rope through the cleat on the other side, they're going, now? No, wait. And they'll ask again, now? No, wait. And so then I try and help them not to have to ask anymore. So I just keep going, wait, wait. Everything else is happening frantic, and they're just sitting there ready to yank it out of the cleat. Wait, wait. It's the very thing, the last thing that happens because the jib sail in its previous set is the first thing to catch wind and help the boat to turn. And if you let it go too soon, you lose all of the advantage that it has. It unfolds in an order. Timing is important. And waiting is sometimes the hardest thing to do. One job. I want to do it right. I want to yank it out of the cleat. This is my first shot at doing it. When? Now? Now? When? Now? 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 Wait. Wait. I hear this parable. And God, uh, Jesus once again is using an agricultural story. I'm not a farmer, so I have to read up and figure out all the little nuances of this. Part of what might throw you off because it throws me off is that the weeds that are spoken of are not weeds like I find in my garden that are so obvious that they're weeds. You know, they just spread in ugly ways and they do things and you go, oh yeah, that's obviously a weed, I need to get that out of there. This type of weed, the word that's used is a specific type of weed that looks a lot like wheat. At certain stages, it's almost indistinguishable from wheat. And the roots intermingle with the roots of the wheat. So that kind of complicates the story a little bit. Yet there are some wonderfully zealous workers who know that something's wrong and we want to yank up the weeds. Wait. Wait. Yeah, but, but I think I had this figured out. I think I know how to make this judgment call. I think I can do this. I think I've figured out who is and who isn't. What is and what isn't. Wait. It's become incredibly difficult in our culture to wait. And it's not all on you. Things have changed in our culture. The abundant availability of those things we desire, 
the notion of waiting has become incredibly difficult. I can, in the morning, decide I really am craving Reese cups. I can have 500 of them on my front porch by the afternoon without ever leaving my house. Wait. I'm guessing if you've been with me very long, you know that I love and am fascinated by some of the neurological stuff that affects us and our personality and who we are. It's just part of my background and journey. Some of the latest research talks about those cultures, those countries, those places where there is a great deal of abundance. A great deal of abundance where you would think, as a result, there would be this heightened level of happiness and satisfaction. But in fact, in the last 20 years, the research is showing unequivocally that what is happening is a greater level of anxiety and depression and suicide ideation. Greater than the countries who don't have. What's wrong? We have within us mechanisms that God designed in a powerful, beautiful way that invite us into places where we seek out those things that are pleasurable and good, that are very satisfying in wonderful ways. And there is, at least the current research is showing, that the place in our brain where we sense that is also the exact place in our brain where we sense pain or discomfort. And there are neurochemicals that help create an equilibrium for us for our own health, so that we might experience the joy or the happiness with something that is very joyful and satisfying, but then our brain chemicals bring us back to that level of what's called homeostasis, that kind of equilibrium place. And we seek out once again an opportunity for those things that bring great joy or satisfaction and might work toward that again. One of the things that gets released is brain chemical called dopamine. Just gives us that sense of satisfaction. Ah, <gasps> nice. But in our land of abundance, we have the ability of pressing that lever of dopamine again and 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 again. There's no longer as much of a need to work through and work toward that moment in time. This survival mechanism that has helped us survive for centuries, now because of the abundance of things, works against us. Because in order to receive that same kind of satisfaction, the homeostasis level starts changing in our brains. And we start craving more and more. And the level of addiction, and now if you don't know, the language of addiction is not just to chemicals or substances. It's to behavior as well. 
I, I remember as a kid, one of my baseball heroes was Pete Rose. Pete Rose, amazing baseball player, Charlie Hustle was what they called him. And then somewhere toward the end of his career, he was caught betting on a baseball game. Forever banned from the Hall of Fame. Okay? It does seem very odd to me now that every major sports event is sponsored by a sports betting company. The commentators are actually telling you the odds during the game and how they've changed during a tennis match. And the ability to engage in that behavior is my smartphone. I can do it 20 times today. The addiction is not just a substance. It's what begins to shift and press that dopamine lever in our head. And so I come back once again with almost an impossible task where the master says, wait. Practice the discipline of waiting. Stop. And we might find how hard it is to stop. And then, then, we might turn to God and say, oh God, whew, without help, I don't know how to do this. God, use whatever. Help me to reset my brain once again. Help me to find the kind of support network. Help me to find ways to shrink the availability in my life, the access in my life. My family has a text stream that sometimes is used where all the members of our family will have a picture that's sent and a comment that's made. About four weeks ago, my daughter sent one out of um, the newborn in our family, Margot, and it was a picture of Margot with eyes wide open and this expression with mouth wide open that looked like an expression of shock. It was, <sighs> and she wrote in the caption, when my daughter found out that I only had eight channels on TV as a kid growing up. And I wrote a little note afterward that says, huh, I don't remember you having that many. <laughs> the availability? I mean, if you choose, I think it's maybe 496 you have if you want them at your access on our TVs today. Dopamine rush, dopamine rush, dopamine rush, dopamine rush. Wait. If there's a spiritual discipline that's needed, could I just suggest that maybe it's waiting? Waiting and see what God might do. Waiting and see what life might do. Waiting and see what my neighbor might do. I sat in a devotional uh, once that uh, George Williamson gave, and he was telling a story about being with a friend, a colleague from campus at some kind of a conference and the conference was talking about spiritual disciplines. And um, he came across one as they were speaking um, that it was the spiritual discipline of sowing. And I might have mentioned this before, but he had never heard of it. I had never heard of it. 
the discipline of sewing, and I thought, I don't know, maybe you just practice sewing and it calms you and, and does things for you. And he said, and then I, I leaned over to my colleague and said, what, what is, I don't get this, this discipline, discipline of sewing. And the colleague leaned back and said, no, it's not sewing, it's slowing. <laughs> oh, well, I've never heard of that one either. What an amazing thought. I listen to the rest of George as he says, so every once in a while when I'm in the grocery store, I pick the longest and slowest line. And I watch every other line just go a lot faster. And instead of just eating away at my spirit, I go, okay, Lord, help me to slow down. That kind of fights against everything that I know when I'm taught. Have I gone off on a far tangent off of this? This parable, Jesus interprets. He gives an explanation. The explanation says, well, the good seed are the children of God. The bad seed, they are the fruit of what Satan is at work doing. And they grow together. And at the right time, the heavenly beings will separate the wheat from the tares or the chaff. Not only in this particular parable is Jesus saying, wait, but it almost seems like Jesus is saying, yeah, you're not really qualified to make this judgment call. What? But I've been a good student, and I pray. Yeah. That's not, that's not what I've called you to do. You have a purpose. You have a role. But it's not that. So if you were here last week, you might remember that I talked about the importance of the chapters that lead up to 13 for us to help, help us understand 13. Jesus is beginning years of ministry in Matthew 1 through 4. Jesus is teaching ministry in 5 through 7. Jesus is healing and acts kind of ministry in the two chapters that follow that. And, and then we have the missions chapter that sends out the disciples to do what Jesus has done to follow both his teachings and his actions. And then we have examples of how Jesus is rejected. There are some ways in which it seems like chapter 13 is to help us to understand how that happens. And so, Jesus gives us the parable of the soils. Say that the seed is spread in the rocky soil and the, path, the, the pathway soil, the rocky soil, the weedy soil, and good soil. And, and there are reasons why the seed doesn't take root or doesn't take good root. Here we have a parable, once again, that says that 
There are all kinds of things that take place as to why someone or a particular situation may not reflect Christ or accept Christ's teachings. But I also want to say that it's really, really, really important to also know the end of the story. We can dig into individual verses and ideas and storylines and parables. But we need to understand what's the purpose of the gospel. What's Matthew doing as he relays the teachings of Jesus? It's to reveal Christ. Hand in hand with that is to reveal what Christ has done. The gospel message, the good news is this. That Jesus paid the price that we might have life. That it's not what I've done or what you've done. It's what Christ has done. Last week, there was a portion of the message that pertained to the uh, soil with weeds. That the cares of this life and our obsession with wealth and riches just chokes out what God is at work doing and made mention of uh, tithing in that discussion. And I had one of my very good friends in this congregation come up to me right after the service and just make a proclamation, D, that was absolutely the worst sermon on tithing I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, thanks. I don't know that that was the primary point at all of the message, but okay. Well, I want to tell you what I think is probably simultaneously for some the actual worst sermon on tithing and the best sermon. And that's this. That our posture of how we live in the world, our sense of generosity, our life of gratitude, our heart of compassion, those things are not ways by which we earn points with God and blessings from God. Period. There is no gospel message that says the more you give to the church, the more you can make sure that God's blessing will answer your prayers the way you're praying them. The compassion, the generosity, the grace toward others, that's the fruit that comes from having received the incredible good news that God has fully paid the price on our behalf, loves you, and embraces you. And into this space, when we have the response of joy, like the bucket in the children's book, how can you not find yourself filled with an overwhelming sense of humility that God would do this, and then a sense of response that says, oh God, help me to live that way. There is here in this parable, Jesus seems to be teaching the wheat and the tares come up, and, and there's going to be a separation of that. But if you don't know the end of the story, then all of a sudden, our minds go, it's them and us. It's 
the they over there and we are the, you know, the group that's going to be taken into the barn. That's who we are. The end of the story, if you read it all the way through, is all of us are tares. And remember who it is that's writing this. Matthew, the tax collector, the Jewish accountant, the one who keeps numbers for Rome. He's had an inside look at the system and how the system works. He knows that nobody ever wins. You can keep paying all you want, but there is a debt that never gets paid. And Matthew knows this. He's kept the books. He's watched how Rome works. And he's been part of the system. You talk about a person who has an insider's look at grace. That's Matthew. A person who knows what it's like if all we do is do the accounting of goods and bads. Matthew knows that system better than anyone. And here he is bringing to light the parable of God's work among us. And God is saying, wait, I'm not done. Leave the field to me. You do what you've been called to do, and that is share how amazing this good news is. That it is grace, and out of that, oh my goodness, the response in my life, all of a sudden I see with new eyes, I hear with new ears. My heart's been softened long enough to let some of this actually take root, and it begins to put down roots, and over time, the tears that are in me begin to be pushed away by the grace of God. The tears that are in me are being pushed to places as my sinfulness gets transformed by God's goodfulness and grace and patience as he tells me, just wait, I'm at work doing what God does. Oh, if I could just hear Matthew tell this story. If I could hear Peter tell the story, he had it all figured out. Jesus, no matter what anyone else does, I will never forsake you. I'm one of the insiders. I'm with you all the way. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, you have no idea how much the tares have affected you. There are roots mixed in with your roots. Hang in there. Stay with me. You'll deny me three times, but when you return and you have a new understanding of what grace really means, then encourage the others that they might come to know what grace really means. The economy of grace, just for a minute, stop counting and start living grace. Just for a minute. See what that feels like 
to stop looking in comparison and start living with the freshness and breath of air that the Spirit brings you. That's the space where I want you to live. Trust the rest with me. Just wait. Just wait. You'll see. This is the good news. Don't miss that you are the recipient of the good news. And let someone else know that's the good news. The invitation to the table of grace. Need I say more? It's an invitation to Matthew to stop counting. <laughs> to Peter to stop jumping the gun. To all of us to sit just for a moment and wait. Your hand's on the jib sail, that's okay. Just hold on. Drink of grace. Taste of grace. Receive God's love. Let that be what transforms us in community as we do this together. I'm going to ask the band to come, the servers to come. I want to say while they're doing that that we practice an open table. If this is something that for you, you desire, an invitation to this table of grace, you're welcome to participate. You don't need to be a member. You might be a guest here. You're welcome to participate. In a few moments when the elements are with the servers in these areas, I'll invite you to come. Take the elements back with you to your seat. It'll take you about five minutes to figure out how to work the elements. It's, you'll find out when you grab them. Hold on to them, and we'll partake together in community. Lord, thank you. Thank you. You do your work. Help us to do our work. Teach us how to wait, to not be so obsessed with the pleasure in life that we can't recognize the work in life, the beautiful balance between discomfort and joy, that somehow in the midst of suffering, out of that comes something that is unbelievable in what you provide with your presence and your peace. Help us to pause this morning just long enough from pressing the dopamine lever that we might recognize the incredible feeling of being yours. You've called us by name. You've reached out to touch our hearts and to be with us through every step, not counting against us, but counting for us, counting the only thing that matters, and that is that Jesus has paid the price that we might live. Oh, Lord, we thank you, and we're grateful for the table of grace.
Is there anyone who would like to be served that hasn't been served? Just raise your hand and we'll come back to you. Lord, may you sanctify these elements for us. May they be for us, your grace. Your body broken for us, your blood poured out for us. May they invite us to a place where we recognize our great need of you. Our absolute need of you. May we learn and be reminded that our hope is in you. Then sanctify us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit that your anointing might help us to respond to your incredible grace by living a life that exemplifies the power of that grace, the joy of that grace, the patience of that grace, the endurance of that grace. Thank you, Lord. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it, he gave it to each one of them, and he said, this is my body broken for you. We do this in remembrance of our Lord. In a similar fashion, he took the cup. He gave it to each one of them as the blood of the new covenant. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. We take in remembrance of our Lord. Lord, teach us through your word. May your parables come alive to us. May they caution us when caution is appropriate. May they inspire us when inspiration is what we are needing. May they draw us closer to one another, helping us to live faithfully toward one another and with one another, encouraging and bolstering one another. May the terrors that have taken root in our life, oh Lord, may you begin to root them out in your timing, in your ways. May you remind us of the ways in which we need to surrender anew to you. Ignite us with a passion of love toward you that leads us toward a love for others. 
that we might be a place where heaven touches earth. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I invite you to, uh, after service, the wonderful privilege and opportunity of helping us get ready for VBS. Some of you need to get your children. I hope you do that right away. Some of you can stay just a few minutes and help us clean up this room. There are some who might be willing to head over to the children's room and help a transformation both of the children's building and the youth room getting ready for VBS. If you need to leave, don't feel awkward. You don't need to participate. Just inviting those who can to do so. Let me offer a blessing over you. May God's love pour over you so that you feel like you've been bathed in grace. May you leave this place not with the burden of work that's not yours to do, but with the joy of the tasks that we've been called to do. And that's simply this. Be the good news. Go in God's grace. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.